another edition of the Grizz Den podcast. Brantley is in the house. So is Ty Smith Sr. Yes, sir. And Kraft is here. Yeah, we're all back together again. Kraft has been yelling so loud and, uh, at the TV that his voice is slightly gone, but he's still here with us. The full gang is here for the quarterly report. So we're 20 games into the season, and we have a great show planned for you. We're going to go through, and we're each going to throw out a few things that we've noticed or a take that maybe we've been we've been sitting on, and we are going to decide as a group if it is an underreaction or an overreaction. And so you can also uh, play along with us. If you have any thoughts about what we're going to say, we have an email address, and that is grizzdenpod at gmail.com. Email us your thoughts, and you might make it on the show. Before we get into the content, we have a big announcement to make, and that is that we have a new website, grizzden.com. Dot com. That's right, G-R-I-Z-Z-D-E-N.com. Not only will you find a link to all of our shows and potentially more content down the line, but it is where we are relaunching our merch. And this is just in time for Grismas. Go to the website. It is our favorite time of the year. We came out last year with a Merry Christmas tacky sweater. We have another uh, more, I guess, less tacky, but you know, just as fun uh, design for Christmas. And we also have our favorites that are on the site. Jog- that's a Joggles t-shirt. We have our Air Jaw design and more to come. Yeah. So go to grizzden.com and, and order... Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So go to grizzden.com. It is the perfect place to find and buy a gift for a loved one that loves we, the Grizz. We've never been able to wear Grizzden gear and watch the Grizzlies on yeah. Christmas. Exactly. This is perfect timing. We have the Grizzlies playing on Christmas Day, and you want to be decked out in Grizzden gear. Code Grismas. Code Grismas. Use it in the checkout for the next few days. We're running a promo. All right, let's get into it. We are going to start with just some very general thoughts. A quarter of the way through the season, uh, 20 games in, the Grizzlies sit right now at fourth in the Western Conference, 12-8. and eight. We are watching the, the Mavericks and the Warriors, and that result actually doesn't have any bearing on the standings, thankfully, because those two teams are below the Grizzlies. But we're going to start with just some very general thoughts about where we sit, and then we're going to get into... Our prompts. So I'm going to start with Ty. Ty, how are you feeling so far about the season? What are your general thoughts? Uh, general thoughts are, um, you know, pretty good, pretty solid. Uh, Twelve and eight, fourth in the in the West, like you just talked about. Two games back out of the out of the one seed. Um, Twelve and eight doesn't seem like a lot of games, but a fourth of the way through is kind of wild. Um, I think we are in the mix. And I think that's where I expected us to be. And I think we have survived several injuries. And I think that's encouraging, too. Um, Bain was really, really healthy last year. Um, he's missed the last couple of weeks. Z- I'm just kind of thinking back of, like, preseason, like what I expected. Definitely didn't ex- – I fully expected Zaire to be back by now, for sure. Um, ja, you know, is always going to have those little games that he misses – um, but I'm really encouraged um, where we are and kind of how we're playing. I think 
if I'm just going to go player by player really quickly, uh, just you know all the way starting down at to, Tillman, all the way down to junior. Um, so give me give <laughs> yeah. me a quick thirty minutes here. <laughs> Um, but Jaw is. That's what it sounded like. I know it did. Give me one second to. Give uh, me one. Go through my monologue of every through. player really quickly. Um, this is a quick open. Yeah. Jaw is who I thought he would be. Uh, Bane has been, you know, improved, which is wild. Um, 45% from three on nine attempts. Just freakish stuff. Uh, two guys that I really want to discuss, and we'll get into this a little bit further, but I want to kind of tee it up at some point is Jaron has been like a completely different offensive player which has been awesome. Um, the shot's not falling, 31% from three. He's definitely getting them up. I think last I checked, it was like eight attempts a game, so he's definitely launching them. But his post play is back, which is awesome. Um, his rookie year, if you all remember that far back, we would do that little duck in with him and Mark, hollow stuff, and he was really good in the paint. He went away from that. I'm just encouraged with his like physicality, his strength, fouling less. Defense is still elite. Um, and Dylan, uh, we'll talk about this probably a little bit later too, but just encouraged, not necessarily with his numbers and his percentages, they're solid. They're really quality, but also just like the way he's playing truly has seemed to change. Um, you could argue small sample size, 20 games is not crazy small. Um, and he looks like he is kind of, you know, the pecking order has been set in place and he's, he's been okay with that. So overall happy with the way we've started. Brantley, do you have anything to add? I think you have to be really positive if you are a true Grizz fan and you've followed this franchise over, you know, we'll just say at least in the Jaw Jaron years. I mean, when you think about this year and that not only have we had some injuries where we didn't have we didn't have Trip, we haven't had Bain recently, we didn't have we don't have Zaire, who was a primary contributor at the end of the season last year. You lose, you know, Melton and Kyle and you're asking more guys to step up in all of those places and you're in fourth place in a very tight Western Conference right now I I think you have to be very very pleased with where we're at and I feel like we're we're in fourth and we've looked good doing it like it we still have room to improve and you know we still haven't seen our best four on the court together and that I think has some high, high uh, need for optimism for the rest of the year for this team. What about you, Kraft? Yeah, I mean, just to repeat, I think considering the injuries, I'm very excited about where we are. We also, you know, we thought that the schedule early would be a little easier, but it's actually been, it feels like we're playing a lot of the teams early that have kind of overperformed and we're kind of missing out on some of the teams that we thought would be better. Um, who have underperformed and so our schedule's been a little tougher I mean one thing that I was excited about is just listening uh, you know these those analytic models is like you know Raptor and and other ones like 538 Raptor has us winning the West uh, prediction and 538 has us being second in the West and so I think for all those things knowing that we haven't come close to playing our best because we just haven't had all of our best players on the floor I'm very excited about the where the Grizzlies are yeah definitely and I I feel the same way I think you can't talk about this season without starting with the players that haven't gotten full time and, and whether that's Jaron, especially Zaire, uh, Bain now is not going to be back for another week at least. Um, so 
I mean, we'll see what happens when the five players that presumably will be our starting lineup in the playoffs actually get time to play together. Harrington wrote a great article recently. I think it came out this morning. It was about basically we are the uh, one kind of contending team that hasn't had their starting lineup play a possession together yet. And so I think that's very important. And despite that, we've still seen some success. Um, But there's still plenty of things to discuss with this team. And so what I'm going to do here is I'm going to tee up our our first prompt. And I'm going to actually pass it over to BD himself. Brantley, what is your your, uh, prompt that you want to put on the table? Have us debate whether or not this is an overreaction or underreaction. The Grizzlies' biggest problem is that they are last in the NBA in free throw percentage. I think when you watch the Grizzlies down the stretch right now, my lack of confidence in us winning in those clutch moments is that our most clutch player can't be trusted from the free throw line. Our team is shooting terrible. And I don't have this stat to back it up, and this corresponds with something later that I'm going to talk about, but I think we may have the, one of the worst free throw shooters in the game right now. And He's and last. Our, and our boy, Steven. I went off on our most recent podcast in the week to an update about this free throw problem. Steven Adams is shooting 24.5%. It might be a little higher since he shot four for nine in the last game. Uh, but as Kraft said, if you're shooting four for nine and your percentage goes up, that's, that's an issue. That's Bad good. news. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I just – I can't believe we're last when I was looking at this today and, and we've essentially declined by a full percentage point in our uh, percentage. So it's like we haven't gotten better. We've gotten worse year over year. Yeah. And that's crazy to me. Yeah, because we're getting we're getting to the line way more than we used to. We're we're actually getting respect from the officials, but we're not taking advantage of it at all, that's which right. is really frustrating. We're up seven percent year over year in our attempts. So like that to me, like I, I'm with you. Like it has felt like we've had more we've either been given the benefit of the doubt more. I do think that there's some trends in the league where charges are being charges are being called less. That's beneficial to players like Ja. And his his free throw percentage is a little worse than last year, but it's not the worst that it's been in his career with us. But it just feels like a problem that I hope doesn't continue to be a trend for the rest of the season. Yeah, oh yeah, it's a huge problem, and I think it's uh, mainly Ja. I mean, he's got to get his confidence up. And I mean, as I was saying on the last pod, like it's I don't think it's a lack of like mechanics or anything like that. I think it just has to do with. Um, maybe even something mental. And I don't want it to prevent us from, uh, I guess, making the correct basketball play down the stretch because we're trying to avoid free throws or make a bad turnover because we're having to play hot potato to get it to the one free throw shooter like Bain who can actually shoot. And I would just hate for that to be our situation. So I I couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Um, Ty, what's your, uh, what's your take? Um, yeah, I don't, the free throw thing is interesting uh, to loop back. I feel like we should – We're so we're the only team in the league under 70% as a team, which is we're 69.9. So it's the lowest cheap. in franchise but history. We're under. Way. That's crazy. And the crazy thing about Ja, he's basically only – I mean, right now he's 70 – let's just call it 75 and a half. So, whoops. <laughs> what you listening to over there? 
Just some ads. Sounds like ESPN.com <laughs> um, over there. So last year he shot 76% from the line. Uh, the best he's ever shot, um, shockingly, was his rookie year at basically 78% from the line. So he's never been even an 80% free throw shooter. So I don't know if this is like concerning take, but like he's never really proven that he's been a good free throw shooter, you know? At the same time, you talked about like Brantley made the good point about like your clutch player. Like we're going to try to get the ball in his hands. I will say if Bain is healthy, I, we will probably look for him to get the ball. And those like teams are trying to foul to stop the clock. We will probably try to find Bain. A really cool thing I remember about like Lionel Holland's coach teams. I remember they were talking about like clutch stuff and he was like, I don't care what Zebo's free throw percentage is. If the game's on the line, I want him shooting the shot. Um, not quite there yet with Ja to kind of talk about like if he's your go-to player. I don't well, feel that way right now. We've lost games that way. Yeah, exactly. I don't really feel that way right now. Um, not saying that can't change, but also again to reference his previous free throw percentages over the years, he hasn't proven that he can um, he can really do that yet. Um, so I'll say one funny, interesting thing is my son. Whenever we get towards end of games or in kind of those moments and jaws at the line shooting, he is always being like, please don't chant, please don't chant. Because without fail, every time uh, there's an MVP chant for jaw, he misses the free throw. It's like, and my, my son is just like adamant. He hates the MVP. It happened to the Pelicans now. game. It did happen there, yeah. yeah. Can he, we start, can he start tracking that, that for us? I know he should. <laughs> I'll ask him to, but that tells me that I think, I mean, I do think there's some stuff in his head about free throws Something going on. I, I think fatigue also fatigue, plays a part. Fourth yeah. quarters is when it, I feel like, drops even well, more. Well, but I, and I, so I, yeah, I think it's fatigue in the second half. And I think in the first half, I think it is a little bit of a lack of concentration. Like, it's just not this thing that he really cares about early in games either, which hurts his free throws too. So Yeah, and it's one of those weird things too where if almost you put too much focus on it, it can be counterproductive. But if not enough, obviously isn't good either. So, I mean, it's a weird coaching thing. I know they play free throw games all the time. And maybe that's Jenkins' way of like backing into some good practice. Um, okay, I have one for us. Has Jaron Jackson Jr. solved the foul problem? Oh, don't say it. That's like the biggest jinx of all time. He's fouling out of the next four. Okay, sure. well, he is right now. <laughs> his foul rate is only 3.7%. And for the first time in his career, he is over the 50th percentile in the NBA in Let's terms go. of foul. So he's 56th percentile which means he is uh, fouling less than, uh, you know, more than half of the league. And so I just wanted to to get a touch base on Jaron because that was my biggest concern going to the season was, you know, obviously he's going to get bigger, he's going to get stronger, he hopefully gets more skilled, he gets better at shooting and everything, but can he solve this one thing that has really been plaguing him? And so far through, you know, four or five games that he's played, it seems as though it has not been like a core issue so far. Like, I don't remember, I don't see it. Uh, he might, I know he's on a minutes restriction, so that plays a part. It's been five games too. But, and it's been five games, but how are we feeling about this particular part of his game? I will say one thing is there are always like, let's say he averaged four and a half fouls a game. Two of them were just like stupid reaches at like midcourt on like a fast break or something dumb. Maybe the take foul. I don't know if that'll limit things a little bit. Also, one thing I noticed, for instance, we were playing the Pelicans. Like, if you were just to say before the Pelicans game, like, who's going to guard Zion? My answer probably would have been, oh, Jaron will do that. I thought it was really interesting that that Jenkins um, basically put 
Jaron on a non-threatful offensive player. So Jaron could just roam and just be kind of all over the place. And to me, that is almost better for his fouls rather than him trying to guard someone one-on-one, whether that's perimeter or the post. So when Jaron guards bigger players, previously he would get bodied a little bit and then kind of reach or slap and get a foul. But it's really interesting as like a help side defender, I feel like you have a chance to foul us. Again, five games, but that New Orleans matchup I thought was really interesting by Jenkins to basically be like, no, you're going to go guard. um, I'm blanking on his name now. Herbert Jones, Herb Jones, and he's just going to float and probably miss a lot of corner threes, and you can just help off him like crazy. Um, and Jaron played really well that game too. So, Yeah, a couple of things that I saw that were interesting too along with that uh, is one is I think offensively he just looks more in control, and so he has not you know had a charge drawn against him yet um, or had kind of one of those sort of fouls that I think killed him in the playoffs. Um, it seems like you know somebody got a charge on him every single game. And so I'm hoping that kind of his sort of more polish offensively is going to help him do that. But one thing I did see is twice in the game I was um, in the Kings game is he closed out. um, He closed out probably softly than he normally does on three point shooters. um, And, and they still made it, but like there was this whole him kind of like being like slapping, uh, clapping, kind of like kind of disappointed, but him looking back to Jenkins and Jenkins kind of giving him this look like that's okay. Like close out, don't close out crazy and foul three point shooter, just close out and they're going to hit him, and it's okay. And I, I felt like there's a little bit of that, that he's just a little more under control and okay. Um, giving up, you know, like I can't, I can't do crazy closeouts on threes because that's when I get fouls on me and things like that. So, yeah, my my comment on Jaron, if I was the one to propose this, was like, has Jaron become a man? I like, I feel like the combination of two things on my notes on this. I've seen less Andrew Harrison face from him, where he just is getting the dep- real ones now, dep- <laughs> depressed and pissed at stupid about stuff, every little about thing. every little thing. And he was, it was kind of like Andrew Harrison slash cat syndrome that was like, I really wanted him to get over that quickly. And I, and that's become like one of cat's biggest, like, like detractors, honestly, is where he just has this emotionalism about him that he can't control. And then the other control thing is that he just has always felt like a baby giraffe to me and he doesn't feel like that anymore. He's like become this, he's, his even his drives there's certain things about the way he plays offense still drives me crazy like he has the Marc Gasol he plays smaller than his body thing still where he hunches over but he's playing bigger on drives like the more we've seen him go up for two-handed dunks from the block more than he's ever done in his career uh when he's driving in and sort of gathering himself and hunching over He's not extending his arm from like a gangly perspective. He's using the bulk of his shoulder to create space and scoring that way. Those seem like two like minor differences in his game on top of the like the defensive stuff where I do think there's he has maybe just grown into his body a little bit more and you know, he's he's giving a 90% Jaron effort versus a 110% Jaron effort. And that could translate to one or two less fouls per game and still have the impact that we need him to have. Yeah. I'm, I feel like he also is in a weird way, one of the elder statesmen on the team 
because of all the rookies that we just brought in. And even though he's, what, 22? Isn't that what he is? 23. Just 23. turned 23. He, that's, I mean, if you look at the range of ages on our roster, he's right there in the middle. And it's it's kind of crazy to say, but he has more experience than, you know, 75% of the guys on the team at this point. And so to see, and that comes with a level of, you have to stop doing the stupid stuff that keeps you out of the game. And so I think I'm interested to see how this develops as he starts to play in the 30s, because right now he's still in the 20s in terms of minutes. So this is sort of a, a like tongue-in-cheek, has the foul problem been solved because of the small sample size? But um, I think it's something to watch because it, it is like whether or not the sample size is big enough, I think in the games that he has played, it's been evident that his, his style has, has definitely improved in that respect. Um, okay, who's got another one? I'll go. Kraft uh, has 12 of them. Yeah, I have so a bunch. We're just going to hang here for a little bit. I'm trying to think of which bit. fun one I want to do first. I'll just go ahead and get the, the, this one. The Melton trade was a mistake. Ooh. I really wanted to talk about this, too. I'm glad yeah. you brought it up. So um, I actually really want to hear what y'all have to say. I mean, I, I think that's an overreaction at, the, at this point. I think that um, we're that we still have a small sample. I think that this is one of those trades that actually won't be, may, might take a year or two to really know. <clears throat> I do think though, that short term, we definitely, it seems like sacrificed um, some regular season wins or just some regular season continuity for, and the question is maybe why did we do this trade? I mean, I think there's several things why we did it, which cap flexibility. I think we, knowing that Melton wasn't going to be one of our core guys going forward that we might extend. I think they thought a first round draft pick for him is peak value. Um, I also think that, um, and we might get into this later talking about things. I think they wanted to bring in um, maybe a vet presence who had won a championship and Danny green and saw that opportunity. So I think all those things together, but, um, but I do think right now it obviously you know, maybe we would have won one or two more games with Melton. So you could say maybe that's not that big of a deal. Um, you know, that, that, but some coin flip games could have gone the other way. But I do think that it's very obvious that uh, when Zaire is injured, when Bain is injured, when Jaw is injured, we really miss somebody like Melton. Um, we could also, uh, maybe later we'll talk about Tyus. Um, it seems like Tyus misses a Melton um, as well. Uh, you know, in that kind of bench lineup. So, so in those ways, I do still think it's an overreaction, but I do think um, as much as I was getting frustrated with fans for like every time we lose, it's all about the fact that Melton and Kyle Anderson left um, or that we traded Melton away. I think that's an overreaction, but I do think it's worth mentioning. And I don't want to see what y'all kind of thought about that. I think it was one year too soon. Uh, I don't disagree with the decision long-term, but if you look at his contract, he is right now in the third year of a four-year deal. And so this coming summer, he would have been eligible for another extension. And so to me, it would have made sense to maybe hold on to him one more year. Uh, and he would have easily backfilled the gap in the shooting guard position that we have right now. Again, like that doesn't mean that we wouldn't have traded him at the trade deadline potentially. And I'm sure that they were running through all the different scenarios that were out there and you say, can we get a first round pick for Melton? Great. Um, I think the bigger debate is going to be what we did with the first round pick. 
and so far I maybe rookies are going to come up at this in this conversation as well but I tend to have like I almost think we need to separate those two things of like rookie development versus what we did with our veteran over here even though the those two guys are just going to be linked, Roddy and, and Melton, uh, because that was the trade itself. But yeah, I mean, I think it was technically a year too soon from a financial standpoint because you he was only an $8.4 million contract on your books. And so it's not like the Dylan question is a bigger one, which we'll get to, but like Melton, I, I, I could be convinced that it was a mistake, especially if we get into a, a, a more... Uh, dire situation down the line with maybe either injuries or in the playoffs or we're a guy short and he's a guy who could have maybe at least plugged you know 10 minutes in a game are you sure that he could have done that in the playoffs no no I'm I'm on the side that like he was not in my ideal playoff rotation and so in that respect no but if we lose out if we're dropping from let's say like a two seed to a five seed and missing out on home court in the playoffs because of five or six games where we were having to play, you know, Roddy and, and LaRavia more than we need. Maybe so. But, um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I sort of just – the overreaction to Melton to me is that it's it, – you, you obviously can't assume 100% health. But, you know, if you were to rank our top playmakers on the team – you know, the ones that get past the obvious ones, we're, we're missing, I think, two critical playmakers right now that are impacting our depth in a dramatic way in Bain and Zaire. I think they were expecting Zaire to be able to do some of that playmaking role off the bench that Melton did, even though they played different positions. They're obviously different positions. Bain was getting some of those reps too. Now the playmaking is falling to Tyus, which is unfair. So I, I think it's an overreaction personally. And and, and it, there's just so many layers to, to the depth piece of it. I just, I, I really believed in what we were going to be doing from an investment perspective with Bain and Zaire to get them up to this different level um, and I, I think that it was the right thing to do. Um, it was addition by subtraction. Um, yeah, well, I've, I'm kind of with you. I think you made a good point about a year too soon. Um, and the way I thought about it, again, you, you referenced, like, it's going to be really hard to separate Roddy and Melton. Like, if, if Roddy was giving us Melton production right now, we'd be like, oh, my gosh, what do we have in this pick? You know what I mean? Um, and he's obviously nowhere close to Melton production. So I think it's hard not to compare the two because that is the role he's taking right now. Um, I do think, to Brantley's point, it is unfair because those minutes weren't maybe necessarily expected to go to Roddy at that spot. Maybe like Zaire was going to fill like a much bigger role. You've seen Conchar step in and play really, really well too. Like he's shooting a really solid percentage from three. He's maybe not as active as a defender, but he's he's pretty solid on ball. Like we watched him guard Brandon Ingram pretty well this last game against New Orleans. Like a very undersized player, Brandon Ingram's you know six nine six ten. 
Um, Conchar 6-5 held his own, played pretty well. He's he's making his shots. Mm. He's doing the little things pretty well. He was the no. only one who stopped Brunson the other night too. Yeah. Uh, Conchar is not going to like wow you with like, you know, or just be – in the passing lanes all the time or hit like four consecutive threes and four consecutive possessions like Melton would do. And then he's pretty good on the break too, actually. Um, My whole thing on this point too, is also like as the the track that you're going is like, did Melton, was it for sure that he was going to help you get to the Western conference finals this year? No, but like Roddy's not either. You know what I mean? So then, so, so, like, he would help way more than Roddy and LaRavia would. So, like, back to Will's point of, like, this year, Melton would help more than what we currently have, I think, for sure. But does he guarantee you get there? No, but nothing's going to guarantee unless we would have, like, sent everything out for, like, Jalen Brown or something like that. If, That's like, what I'm Boston saying. I, th- I think this is more of, like, a long-term move, investing in the peak years of our core versus – the right now move sure i mean i could also say that melton's like two years older than roddy like melton's still like a pretty young player and you could think potentially would continue to improve and get better like we've seen a lot of 24 25 year olds big time players struggle in the playoffs initially the more reps they get the more comfortable they get the better they perform like you know i think chris vernon has this thing where he's like all the studs like they never won their first title until they were like 27 so it, t- it even took those guys several years to, like, get comfortable and perform well. So I'm not going to write off Melton as, like, the dude will never perform in the playoffs. He has not up to this point. That has been, like, clearly obvious. But, again, back to the, like, what are we replacing that role with is essentially, I mean, I guess Zaire would step into that. But, again, Brantley mentioned, too, it's kind of different positions, too. Like, if you look at who's playing, like, our kind of two guard off the bench, it's Conchar and Roddy right now and I don't think either one of them are giving you what Melton could give you currently you know in April and May and June if we were to make it that far I don't really know um, but I think right now it, it is tough to think like man I, he'd be really nice to have on our roster for sure um, down the road I don't know but right now it's kind of tough to, to think that we wouldn't be better with him in my opinion. Okay. Why do y'all think we made that trade? Like if you if you like why do you think the front office if they would tell us what what do you think they would say? Uh, I think it? it comes down to um I think this is the yin and yang with the front office and the coaching staff being in such collaboration because I think that there are some players that the front office prefers that Jenkins might not and then there's every once in a while an opportunity for Jenkins to also come back the other way manage up and say you know Melton to me this is what I've seen which is why I don't prefer to play Melton over some other guys and would rather develop somebody else who has a different skill set or I just think that there might have been one too many things whether that was uh, missed rotations on defense or just basically like an erratic style that Jenkins might not have loved but I think that there's some sort of thriving in chaos that Melton sometimes had. And And that was our team. Like we, our team thrived in chaos last year. But I also think it has to do with upcoming. I mean, there's an argument to be made that the choice was having a guy who's going to be cheaper than Dylan down the line or, and also have Melton or not have Melton and be able to extend Dylan for what he is ultimately going to get. Because that $7 million between Melton's contract and Roddy's 
could be the difference in affording a player like Dylan versus not. I mean, it's going to be real interesting when Zaire comes back because, I mean, honestly, Conchar's been, I think, a very adequate Melton replacement. The problem is he's had to start, and then we miss not having Melton or Conchar coming off the bench. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see because Conchar, I think, has been a great – I mean, I, I, meant to, I meant to say something in the open. I mean, I think I've been real encouraged by Conchar. Uh, this year, this year too. He's 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 filled in in the spot up scenario where Melton was very streaky. Conchar seems more consistent, but Melton could also drive and kick and create, and Conchar struggles in that scenario. I think he's going to turn it over every time. And I'll answer your question really quickly. I, th- I I think getting rid of Melton was an investment in the future, regardless. And I'm I that's what I want the front office to be doing right now. Like. Unless if you're telling me we're making moves to win a championship this year, if you're building more towards the future probabilities, which I think are higher than this year, that's what I want. And I think that's what they did with Melton. They said we can get we, we're doing contract balance and we're doing things to set us up for two to three years from now when the probability of us winning is greater than now, then we need to make this move. And I think that's what they did. Yeah, my position on Conchar has has been asked and answered on this podcast. I'm <laughs> all in, so uh, I can have that conversation if we need to. But we need no, some I mean, I can just say time for Jitty merch. No, he's yeah. been great. I mean, I and I think it's obvious. I mean, he's not quite a Grayson Allen. Uh, he's very different than Grayson Allen, but it, there's definitely some a type that Jenkins likes of a guy who just kind of makes is in the right place, hits hits wide open, stands still threes. Um, and kind of is not and does not chaos, and I think Conchar is yeah. kind he is of a like that. Perfect system, Bill Belichick player. Like yeah. he is, and and the we ideal. Sign, and we'll have him till twenty thirty. That's so. right, and that's a great point with him. Like like in a perfect world, he's your eighth, ninth man, and right now he's having to start. Um, and if Bain comes back, he's still one of your first two players off the bench. Like they, he's playing like up in his role for sure. Um, and he's still doing well. He's still producing. One question I wanted to ask y'all on the mountain. So y'all may disagree wholeheartedly. Will's probably going to come over here and slap me in the face. But does it not feel it. like Brandon Clark is kind of in that Melton-esque position right now, either within like the the minutes played, the role played, like where we are with this? Brantley talked about like does – if you think about, like, does Brandon Clark get you closer to a title? Like, I don't know if he does. Like, he's a little bit older, too. He's kind of – we just signed him to a really friendly, like, very tradable contract. Maybe this is way too early to get into this conversation because we just extended him. I don't even think he's eligible for a trade. Um, but that's, like – that's one thing that I've been thinking about is, like, Brandon's even with injuries, his minutes have not increased. And this I think that's is, this really is one of those things that doesn't make sense to me, and so. it's so inconsistent. And I think that he has a shorter leash than anybody on this team for some reason, and I'm still trying to figure it out. And this is a perfect like segue into this question that I had was, you know, if you get into the playoffs, you have your eight guys or nine ish that Jenkins likes sure. between play between eight and nine. I looked back at last year's playoffs. We always had two guys off the bench who played over 20 minutes, and we had two guys off the bench who played between 9 and, like, 12. Hmm. So it really is 9, but in reality it was about 8 
eight and you players never versus know minutes. Who that's gonna be like. Well, th- okay, so here's my question. Tillman for Minnesota, like you would have never like right. came out of nowhere. But we have John, Bain, Dylan, Jaron, Stevo. That's our five starting five. Awesome. Okay, if you only had to pick three out of these four guys in a playoff series, who are you choosing? Brandon Clark, Tyus Jones, Zaire Williams, John Conchar. Who out of the four are you not going to play in a playoff BC. series? It's you think BC? Um, I think he and Bain were the reason why we won the Minnesota series, personally. Yeah. I mean, I think it's going to be very matchup dependent. Me honestly, too. For sure. Is what I would say. Um, to but, me, it feels like it would be maybe like, I don't know, if Conchar continues, continues to shoot upper 40% or above 40% from three, it's going to be hard to keep him off the floor. Zaire hadn't played a minute yet this year. We were expecting really big things. You know Tyus is going to play. We just... Well, that's my... I was also going to bring up Tyus in this. And like, well, but I mean, how, I think in the in, he's in the playoffs, play. Tyus is a 10-minute player. Right. I, 10 to 12. I mean, hopefully Jenkins will get off. I mean, but hopefully he and when we're healthy, had to play together we're a lot see this the, year. The Tyus jaw lineups again, but... It's going to um, happen. <laughs> My they're, point they're is, is it's interesting is because so we have these four guys who all play different positions, and they're so unique in their specific skill sets. Mm-hmm. None of them, to me, are perfect players yet. Zaire, to me, has like the highest ceiling of like being uh, more versatile than all of them For because sure. he plays that position. He can shoot, but he hopefully one day can play make. But he's so young out of all three of mm-hmm. them. Like if anything, he's probably like the one that I have the most questions about or I'm most nervous about going into a game, whereas the other three, to me, play very more more steady. At the same time, Brandon Clark is so matchup dependent. He can be the spark that can win you certain games in playoff series, or he can be complete no-show, and because he can't shoot, he's the other team will you know set their defense up to, right. to take advantage of that. And so I don't know. It's an and interesting. I, and I don't know if I might I might be stepping on another thing that you said because we talked about this the other night. Um, but I mean, what's interesting to me is I think if Zaire can bulk up a little bit, um, I mean, I think the future is uh, potentially Zaire, Dylan, Jawbane, Jaron as a closing playoff lineup, with Dylan and Zaire kind of taking that four spot. Maybe Dylan, honestly, um, but uh, but that kind of being that Zaire taking Brandon's place in kind of that switchable lineup because if you have a bouncy guy who hits threes, that's a lot better than a bouncy guy um, who does not shoot. And so, anyway, it's but but obviously you know there's Brandon is a much better rebounder right now and other things. So, but I think that is an interesting about the future of Brandon. So I think it's an interesting thing to look at. I mean, I definitely think of all the guys that we've extended, he's the guy that I think could be traded the most in the next couple of years, for sure. Yeah, and that's what makes me nervous. I think that this team, to me, doesn't feel right without Brandon Clark coming off the bench and just bringing that energy. And I don't know how long his career will be playing that specific style, especially because he's older uh, for when he came out of the draft. But I'm almost, I don't know, It's it's... It's a tough one. Well, for me. you know, it's weird. It, it's, I mean, I'm guessing it's the Aldama minutes kind of throw that. We just haven't seen a lot of the Jaron, Brandon Clark yet together. Maybe that'll happen once and Jaron like, plays more. Santi's a great point. That That's a guy that went from zero minutes 
last year in any form of rotation. Playoffs, absolutely. Regular season, he didn't play. The dude's going to play. Like, he's going to get, like, if we, if we hopefully make a, a playoff run and get in the playoffs, Santi's going to play. Like, he just is. He's going to take somebody's minutes. If you look at last year's roster, like, whose minutes? I think he's is taking he BCs. Take? I've yeah, been I mean, sitting here the whole time. I think, I think it's that's a Jaron foul thing. trouble insurance to me. Like, I'm, I'm thinking Santi? he's like a six minutes a game where we have to put him in because Jaron's in foul know, trouble. Man. He's like, I mean, once, it, I mean, I will say though, when we look at the surprise teams this year, like the Jazz and other teams, one of the things is five out, you know, what the Clippers did. And I do think that Brandon's inability to shoot threes is going to be something that's going to be tempting for Jenkins to put in an Aldama, to put in a Zaire and Dylan and kind of play a weird small lineup. I don't know. But I think Brandon can play backup five, and you put in Aldama at the four if you really need to. I think Brandon and Steve-O are the two that cannot, under any circumstances, play together. Other than that, you are good. Like, I think uh, unless they have a huge bulking right. center that Brandon can't possibly rebound above, like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I think there's flexibility. No, there is. Might yeah. be. That's, what, that's all you want. Going into a playoff right. series, you, like – if you look right. at the Wolves, for instance, like they're not that flexible right now. It doesn't seem like um, they got like the best defensive player of all time. Uh, exactly. <laughs> How are they not flexible? I just I feel like when you go into the playoffs, you if you can play a lot of different ways, and if you like can match up with certain, that's like what you either have to have a team that like other teams can't match up with. Like, if you look at the death lineup Warriors with KD, like, they played that lineup because no other team could match up with them. I feel like you either have to have one of those lineups that, like, teams just don't know what to do with, or you have to have a team that can match up with a lot of different type of, you know, personnel, and I feel like we're the latter. Yeah. And maybe our starting five will be the former. I'm not to be determined, but. But I guess it just, you know, to go back to the original question, it's weird in the regular season – seeing Brandon Clark get 13, 14, 15 minutes a game. It's yeah. just weird. It, it's weird to me. It doesn't make sense. I don't know what the issue is with it. I would be fascinated to be in a meeting and see what they're keyed in on and what we're missing as the casual fan, not casuals in the in, you know the broader vernacular of NBA. We're definitely not casuals. But I would like to see what a professional coach would have to say about why it's it's happening. Um, okay, we have we have some time for a few more. I've got one just because okay. we touched on it really quickly. Y'all, I think that Tyus Jones is performing better than expectation. Whoa. And so here's my point. Oh, there's been a lot of being said about some of his advanced stats, his on-off. Um, but I, just a couple things that when I was looking into this comment around him – um, that stood out to me. This year, he's averaging the most minutes he's ever played in his career. He's taking the most field goals uh, attempts by a large margin that he's ever done in his career. Last year, he took 7.6 attempts per game. He's at nine right now. Uh, he's averaging more three-point attempts per game. Uh, last year was his career high at 2.8. This year, he's close. To, he's at four. Um, he's shooting a little worse. He's shooting 36% from three. And um, his attempts on the two-point percentage, he's actually shooting right at 50% on two-point percent. Um, He is – the thing that has been his calling card was that he 
was not turnover prone. He's he does have the most turnovers um, on average. He's averaging one per game this year, whereas historically he's never been above one. And my whole point on this is that I think that he is having to make up for injuries and other playmaking. He's being asked to playmake more than he really has to. I think the numbers, at least on a volume perspective, speak towards that. And I'm ready for people to back off the Ty's hate. I completely agree with you. I think that we need a much larger sample of Ty's playing with a proper backup lineup that includes Conchar, who's been starting, and Santi Aldama, who's been starting in certain in certain situations. He, If you're going to play in a lineup with David Roddy, it seems as though you're going to have a negative plus minus. <laughs> so, and he's played a bulk of his minutes. If you look at the possession data, like he's played most of his minutes with David Roddy because Roddy has been the guy right off the bench, usually sixth, uh, the sixth man, and then Tyus comes in soon after to give Ja his relief. Um, I also don't think that the Ja-Tyus lineups are great. Uh, Not great, Bob. And I think that that's a product of Bain not being there. I think it's a product of us having just shallow depth at the two. Um, so I, I'm with you. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that it's all because of that. I think there are certain shots that he's normally made that he's just not making, and that he needs to make. I agree with that. I agree. With but that. I also think that when you're in a lineup like that, and you, I think the attempts are what are the. Uh, the indicator there of, okay, why is he taking so many more attempts? And it's because he has guys on the roster who are in his lineups that just aren't going to be there uh, like normal. So we'll see. We'll see with Tyus. The NBA season is heating up, and there are still so many unknowns. When I'm looking to get in on the action, I bet with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can bet just $5 pre-game money line on any NBA team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Check this out. Right now, everyone can earn up to a 100% boost with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, place the same-game parlay, and combine multiple bets like which team will win, total rebounds, and more. The more legs you add, the bigger the boost, the bigger your shot to win big. Download the app now, sign up with code TBPN, place a $5 pregame money line bet on any NBA team to win their game, and get $150 in free bets if they do. That's code TBPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Um, that goes, that goes, great segue to my one of mine. We're playing the rookies too much. And I just want to hear from y'all. We're playing the rookies too much. That's what I hear all the time. I don't time. think we have a choice. Like, who else? We don't have anyone well, else to play. Well, but we could just play Laravia or just play Roddy. But Jenkins. Like, like last year, we only played Zaire, and we really struggled in the first 20, 30 games. And this year, we've decided to play two of them. And obviously, we've sat some people for a couple games where they're going to play a bunch. But, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think last year, Zaire, I mean, I guess Santi was also a rookie, but. Zaire was kind of the only, you know, real addition. We didn't really view Santi as like a, you know, he we didn't really view him as a as a legit contributor even before the season started. Roddy and Laravia, it was almost like these guys are gonna play. Um but also like with yeah, I guess injuries has contributed to it too, but when you lose 
big time rotation players in Kyle and DeAnthony and you replace them with rookies, like we didn't add anyone else. We didn't add any free agents. Like that's we we drafted people. So when you're gonna play ten guys, which Jenkins has always done and I guess will continue to always do. We're playing eleven right now. Um that's who that's who's gonna play. You know, like the rookies are gonna the rookies are gonna play. So I don't think unless he wants to cut the rotation short and become like Boston and basically just play seven guys every game. But so that's what that's what I'm saying. We're playing eleven with the two rookies and no Zaire. Like Bain I mean when uh if if Bain comes back, one of the rookies is either gonna lose minutes or it's gonna be B C. Assuming that Zaire is still unhealthy, yeah. If Zaire comes back, into then, that too, then you have no rookies. Yeah, and I mean, so that's, yeah. That, I mean, that's the expectation. So yeah, but I, I, I mean, you, you it, I'm going to agree with your reaction because I think it's Roddy. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think they need to start yeah. cutting back. I think he needs to. I, I texted this on our group thread. I think he needs the good old Zaire break, man. He needs to take a sit back and just sort of see what's going on. He needs to have a little knee soreness. Knee, have a little <laughs> knee soreness. Come back after the All Star break, ready to make an impact because struggle busting. Yeah, I'm more keyed on like defensively. How are you looking? Because I think you're not going to be able to survive in the playoffs if you can't play defense. And I think we saw that a little bit in the Pelicans game, for instance, where you see Dylan on Zion, and then there's a couple uh, possessions when Roddy and Laravia both are playing. And somehow both of them got switched on design at certain times and he completely blew by them. And I think bucket. that's yeah. when you can't like offensively. It's one thing. Like I think both of them or LaRavia, especially you want taking shots and Roddy even hit a couple in the Pelicans game where you're like, Oh, pleasant surprise. But <laughs> I think at the end of the day, that's where you're get, you're hurting is on the defensive end. Cause anybody can score and they're a step too slow, which is normal. For all sure. these rookies, that's what we have to remember. It is normal, and they're playing. They're both in the top 13, 14 rookies playing minutes. There's two of them on our team, and we, you know, are one of the one of the top five or bottom five youngest teams or whatever you want to, mm-hmm. however you want to put the, the stat. Third youngest team. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I mean, like in that respect, you have it's to crazy at least to still hear that. By the way, I know. Yeah, I know. But like next to who are the other two? Who are the other? Two? I mean, it's I Magic Rockets, Thunder. but like Thunder Rockets. Yeah, yeah. But like Harrington keeps talking about how we play. We have like the the eighth or tenth um, biggest rookie minutes, like they're uh, of the in the NBA, and like the top twenty outside of us are all teams expected to not make the playoffs. Yeah, I I am going to be actually mm-hmm. frustrated if we have a full of you know roster of our ten top guys who we expect to yeah. play, and if they still get minutes at mm-hmm. that point, that's when I think we raise the the yeah. flag. But, but uh, you know, and so – and I, I kind of tend to think it's an overreaction. I sort of like our developmental long-term thought process of give them minutes now um, and not do like the Celtics are doing, not shorten the rotation to potentially win more. But um, – and so but it is interesting. But, I mean, we'll see where we are at the end of the year and if it's cost us, like you said, home court advantage or not. Yeah, yeah I think – Again, I, I feel like we don't really have a choice. And then I, when you reference, like, Zaire, like, Zaire was asked to do, like, two things, maybe three things well. He was asked to run the floor, which he was really good at immediately. He defended, like, the right type of player. And he could – he was, like, a pretty good, like, perimeter defender immediately. 
Like we saw him guard Steph like really early on in the season. We were like, wow, he's like staying in front of him pretty well. And then he was asked to like hit corner threes, and that was kind of it. Like LaRavia is kind of asked to do a little bit of the same thing, and maybe that's why we're seeing him like in our eyes, eye test be like better than Roddy. And it seems like Roddy is kind of asked to do harder things, and he's not able to do it. Like defend more difficult players, especially when you look at like the NBA is dominated by big wings. That's who's Roddy's. That's who he's having to guard, and it's been a struggle. Like on offense, he's starting to hit some open corner threes, but before like he wasn't hitting his shots. And then on offense, like other than that. Like, he's not great at running the floor. We don't really run the floor that much, not near as much as we did last year anyway. So, like, I think Zaire was given, like, almost an easier role than both of those guys. Um, yeah, I feel like Roddy's having to do a lot, and he's just, like, not – He's yeah, I think he's just having to his, – yeah. his, head, his head's below water. One of, my, one of my mini rants on the weekend update episode from, I think, two weeks ago was that you looked at the lineup data for when Roddy was playing at the uh, three versus the four Hmm. and Jake at the three versus the four. And they were almost inverted on what they're like. They were playing more than half of their possessions on the position that gave a negative net rating versus if they had had Jake at the three and Roddy at the four in his lineups, those are both positive net rating lineups. And I'm like, just switch them. Like, why are we putting Roddy in at like one of the, uh, th- two or three, you know, like perimeter positions and not letting him, you know, run in the corner or like short corner or things like that. And why are, why are we putting LaRavia in more like block and, you know, just like those positions. And so, I don't know. It's it's interesting. I hope that we don't see it later in the season, but we'll see, I guess. All right. Maybe one more we have time for before we get to the bets. Uh, Crap. This, Last this, one. This, What's your... my, this is my favorite one. All right. Dylan will continue to be our plus-minus leader this season at the end of the season. Brantley, take it away. <laughs> I have no comment. <laughs> I mean, I'll say it this way. Like, I am I am the known Dylan detractor on this pod. I wish that I could retract. Is that the right terminology? My apology that I made to him because I just – I'm never going to not – Want to do Are you going to retract your retraction? Yeah, I'm not. I'm <laughs> okay. not. I did apologize. I, I, but that does not mean that I wish him to not succeed. I, there, he has, he has had some really strong moments for us, and I don't, I don't know if I even really care if he's our leader on plus minus. Honestly, like I in the regular season, like. I think I care a little bit more about um, when the moment gets the brightest, will he maintain himself in his role in the totem pole spot that he is on the offensive pecking order? And I'm not – I won't be convinced of that until I see a couple playoff series. Because if he – if there's one, one game where he gets out of his – uh, gets out of the order, then it it all goes away. And when the moments really matter to me, yeah. I one thing I wanted to note is the the usage and percentages and averages are all very similar to other years. There are only really two things that are different. 
Number one, turnovers. He's having the best turnover year that he's ever had. He's actually, for what his usage is, he's in the 95th percentile in terms of low turnover percentage. So, like, he's not making the dumb passes and the dumb mistakes that he usually has made. Or, like, ball handling, just, like, you know, like dribbling the ball off his foot or, like, not gaining control of his handle. And the other thing is shot attempts relative to situation. And I think that, like, he has always... He hasn't had... I think there was one game where he had more field goal attempts than either Ja or Bain in a game where all three of them were playing together. Now, we haven't seen a game with our full starting lineup yet. So, like, to me, there's still a TBD. We're only a quarter of the way in. We have to remember that. And so far, to me, he has shown that he could, can play within himself to an extent and when there aren't other guys who should be above him in the pecking order you know he will play up to that level and the percentages and the efficiency is still the same you know it's not like he's all of a sudden going to wake up and start shooting better but I don't know there's there's something slightly different to me so far and ultimately the playoff is the test and it's hard to judge until we get there because Lord knows we had last year a couple games that could have gone differently if he maybe would have made a, a decision or two differently, um, but we'll see. And those were high turnover games for him, kind of to make your point, uh, yeah. especially game four, which was very winnable for us against the Warriors, high turnovers, which, you know, and I think one of the main reasons why turnovers are so huge is because when you're the number one offensive rebounding team in the NBA – a lot of missed shots don't matter as much as turnovers do, you know, and I think that's one thing that, that helps us a lot. Yeah. And I'll just say on the, the, the Dylan piece too, with the um, sort of some of the pecking order things. And uh, I, I just, I will say that there is a proper sense of optimism that, the things that we were hoping for over the past two seasons that he would get checked correctly. If you sort of look at what his behavior was in the preseason and to start the season, it was very different to me where he was trying to, maybe he was just starting slow because it was the start of the season, but it sort of felt like he was trying to figure out his role a little bit, like something had been, told to him I had that thought a couple times where I was just like he just seems like he's behaving differently and so that's there's no no data that can that can validate that but that would be another thing that I would add into the optimism bucket for him I yeah I think you can only be encouraged Uh, personally this is like what I wanted it he's he's definitely the most He's the player I've like wanted him to be more than he ever has been, if that makes any sense at all. I feel like when I watch the games, there are way less times where he's hurting us than helping us. Uh, primarily offensively. like He's always been really good on the defensive end, but offensively there's always been those stretches where you're just like, no, 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 no. I feel like I'm like experiencing those way less than I used to. Um, he's third on our team in attempts. Field goal attempts, that is. He's, he is ahead of Jaron. Jaron's never been one to put up a ton of shots necessarily. Um, I don't know if that will stand or not, but the fact that, you know, Jaws at almost 21 field goal attempts, my computer died, so I don't have 
trying to memorize it. I think Baines at like 18 field goal attempts, and then Dylan's right at 16, something like that. Averaging 17 points per 36 minutes, shooting 36, 37% from three, playing really, really solid defense, fouling a lot less, talking about your fouls on Jaron. I feel like this is the Dylan that everyone's kind of always wanted. But at the same time, like kind of to Brantley's point, it's still early. And he has done this before in his career. He has went through stretches where he has made tons of shots, and it's looked really good. But to Will's point, it does look different, though. Uh, Brantley mentioned this, too, like his approach. I don't know. He'll he'll say something like, I think he said something after the next game, when I'm hitting shots, I'm tough to guard. And you're just like, don't even think about that. <laughs> just don't. Can't just remove that thought from your mind, but it does it does feel different, and I think Jaw's presence is is a lot to do with that too. That's not something considered necessarily. Dylan, I think, has always viewed himself since Mike and Mark left. Dylan's like this is kind of my team. Jaron's not like a you know macho kind of guy. He's not gonna like walk up in the locker room and like take over. Jaw is that guy though. And I think it's becoming more and more apparent, like, no, this is Jaws' team. Jaws going to run the show. Jaws going to make every decision. And I think Dylan also, in that perspective, is kind of like falling in line as well. But this is the best I've ever seen him play. I'll say that. Um, yeah, there was that random stretch in January before his extension a couple years ago where he was just hitting all of his shots. But this is more than that. Um, to me, this is the best he's played um, within a team – um, concept, um, and I'm really encouraged, and I'm like really, really happy with him so far. Like he's really impressed me. Yeah, it could all change in like three weeks, but right now, like it's it's been really good. It's been really, really good. Yeah, I was I was gonna say it's worth noting it is a contract year, and uh, we'll see what happens Last there. Time this happened, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The uh, other thing is, I think that with Dylan, there's just so much confirmation bias this far into his career. I mean, he got drafted in 2017. We have totally. a lot of mileage, so I think the people that view Dylan as somebody who takes away more are going to see the faults more than they're going to see the benefits. The people who are on Dylan Brooks Island are only going to see like the benefits to Dylan and are going to kind of like put away the, the bad shots and everything and say it's worth it. And I think the great equalizer is the plus minus statistic. And that's why at the beginning of the season, I was like, that's only, that's going to be the only thing that I look at at the end of a, a game mm-hmm. is what is his plus minus. And obviously that's, there's some skewing of data that has to do with who you're out there with. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, if he's leading the team in plus minus to me, that is a pretty good indicator that overall, whatever he's taking away from the other team defensively and whatever half measures he's putting ahead on offense are like working. And so I think the best version of Dylan Brooks is a guy that anybody would want. The worst version of Dylan Brooks is a guy that no one would want. Yeah. And so hopefully we get more of on that former half than the latter half. Yeah, I mean, I think the dream is... I think for both Jaron and Dylan, the dream is Dylan's fourth in field goal attempts. I mean, I think if Dylan is fourth in field goal attempts per game at the end of the year, I mean, I all, all of my predictions of one in the West, us winning 56, 57 games are going to be true because I think that's kind of the dream is him being fourth in field goal attempts on the team. And this is coming and off And Jaron being hand. more aggressive offensively. Yeah, Dylan's shot really well from three, I think, the last, like, three or four games. I think his percentage before this little stretch was probably, I think it was, like, mm-hmm. maybe under 30%. Again, computer died, can't confirm. Yeah. Um, Just playing it no. on the computer. But I think his last, like, couple outings, 
Like he was four for nine against New Orleans. I remember that or something like that. Yeah. So I think recently he shot the ball better. Yeah. So that's probably like – and, again, to your Dylan Allen thing, it's like if he has a good two-game stretch, everyone's like max him. You know, yeah. and I'm like, let's just he's, – he's a good player. Like he's solid. He's doing what he's supposed right. to do. And I still want a team-friendly deal. Yeah. yeah Don't get me wrong. And we'll get more into contract stuff as we get closer to the trade deadline because that yeah. is the decision. I know, point. and I don't decision. know if we'll talk about like media stuff because yeah. we, we would – I feel like we've gone a little too long already. Maybe we'll save we'll the see. media. We'll takes. go lightning round for our bets, and then but we it's can just kind of like when a player media. does a good job. Like, can we just say like, man, good game? He played his yeah. role, and not say like top ten in the NBA. Yeah, for like, sure. Just settle down, everybody. Yeah. Just settle down on wins and losses. But yes, yeah. but we'll get there. Don't get too high. Don't get too low. So uh, okay, we're gonna go rapid fire around in a circle a few times. Let's start with our favorite bets. We're going to start with our positives. Like, what is the favorite bet that you made on the record, whether it's an over-under, whether it's a future bet that we had? Uh, I don't mind starting here. My favorite bet that I made, and it happened to be the longest odds, and I'm feeling the best about it, is Desmond Bain to score 22-plus points per game. It was plus 850 at the beginning of the season. That's so good. I wish I had to put more on it to be honest with you. He has to play at least 41 games. I'm feeling very confident about that. He's only missing a few weeks of the season, and he's a durable player. I love this bet. I didn't make that bet, but y'all don't remember that podcast. I'm going to say that was one of mine, too. (laughs) We have the records, but it's fine. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we have the records. I'm not talking about y'all three. I'm talking about everybody else. There you go. I mean, I love to all of my bets mostly. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of with you, crap. I'm not I mean, going to lie. Gris, I'm winning I mean, 70 I went, games. I went, John what about your 40, Detroit bets? Yeah, no, no. So I went all in on the, I went all in on the Bucks. Feel very so good, good about that with, with two or three bets. I feel good about my Grizzlies bets. A couple of them are still potentially long shots. Um, so, I mean, I, I will say obviously the bet that, um, that I feel <clears throat> the best about, man, my voice is starting to go. Um, is uh, is the Kings to make the playoffs? Um, I, I yeah. love that bet, and uh, feel very good about that. What were the odds on that one? Did you I think have? it's four fifty? Love it, Ty. You said you didn't like any of yours. I like one of them, but it's not great because he's been hurt. But it's Dez to lead the league in three pointers made. It was plus forty five hundred to start the season. He was like neck and neck with Curry, mm-hmm. but then he got hurt. Yeah. And maybe Curry will get hurt as well and kind of balance the scales and give him a chance. But that was the one that I like really, You know, really his liked. second and three-pointers made, weaked in listeners will know, Malik Beasley. How about that? Yeah, I was going to say future Grizz, but it's not going to happen. I know. Uh, I had a, a parlay plus 800 odds of Triple J to lead the league in blocks per game and the Grizz to win the Southwest Division. Looking good. JJJ is currently at 3.2 blocks per game. He can't really be listed in the in the right. whole thing. The leader currently is Brooke Lopez at 2.9. So just to like the context, he started off really well on his blocks per game, yeah. and I think the Grizz are going to win the Southwest. Yeah. I think you should feel very good about Save that. Save for this last game, he had had at least three in every single game Wild. so far. It, up to five. It's crazy. Yeah. It's insane. You want to know one I hate? Rudy Gobert, Defensive Player of the Year. <laughs> you made that bet? Oh, he yeah. did. Oh, yeah. It's 425. Bless your heart. He Why it. would you even do that? <laughs> when, There's when one was, that's worse. You want me to tell you one that's well, worse? Me, there might be one that's worse. But when Anthony I was, Davis, Defensive Player of the yeah, Year. Yeah, that one's yes. worse. 
But when when I was <laughs> is that <laughs> one of yours? Yeah, Hundred. Well, look, hey, you weren't you weren't sitting there last if night. We could short bets. I would have. You weren't the sitting there last night watching the T Wolves <laughs> give up one forty two to the Wizards after giving up one thirty seven to the Warriors. So I have one other one that I feel really good about is another parlay of um, Paolo to win Rookie of the Year and Paul to win Sixth Man of the Year. That was like a plus 700 odd collectively. And Paolo is by far the favorite to win rookie of the year right now. And Poole is second in odds. So that Poole is looking. needs to step it up if he's going to win. I, d- I think it's he's going to be his first in odds right now, by the way. In six man? Mm-hmm. I don't know. But all I know is Poole is. Because I bet gonna, Tyler Hero, and I haven't heard of his name in a month. No, yeah. So that he's Poole's going to benefit win. from, I think, a weaker six man crop. Um, some someone randomly mentioned John Conchar as like a six man of the year candidate. Yeah. I was just floating that. He's out starting there. too many games. Uh yes, maybe so. Okay, I had He's one. Good, I'm so not, excited about man. Lakers to miss the playoffs at plus two ten. I mean, from the biggest I, lock of all time. I'm relishing every loss, especially the most recent against Indiana. It was just beautiful to see their hearts get ripped out. Westbrook as as is leader in odds to win six man of, of the year. Of course he is. Of course he is. There's so much <laughs> LA money. It's ridiculous. Westbrook you should feel pool, very good. Benedict Matherin. You should feel very good about your pool. Bet. That's what I'm saying. I There's like a, a, it's a long season. I think he's going to step it up. Uh, I also felt very good about my Warriors, Clippers, Mavs, and T Wolves all unders. Can't how about wait. how about this yeah. one that I have two that I feel really bad about? First, y'all, Detroit's gonna be really good this year. <laughs> Say it again, Kelsey. Detroit. Yeah. I just they're gonna be really good this year. Uh, I had a bet for them to make the East play in. That's not gonna happen. Yeah. Um, Gabe has I been al- hurt. Yeah. I also, they're also my other really bad. bad bet that I'm you know. I thought about doubling down on it. It was Ant to win MIP. Right now, you could get him at plus 30,000 odds to win that. <laughs> it's plus 1,100 to start the season. Yeah, it was plus also 1,100. Maybe, maybe the cat injury was all you needed. Yeah. No, it's too late. I don't know what the Shea Gilgis Alexander odds were, but yeah, that's my pick. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he's leading. I think another one. thing that's interesting about our bets is like narratives, like the narrative locomotive has already started trucking along. So like the ant thing is a prime example. Yeah, wolves started never. slow. No one likes the wolves right now. What's the wolves doing? Their narrative is just like bad, bad. So like all that, like your go bear pick, the Anthony Edwards pick all bad. Can I just run y'all through all of mine? Cause they're Are all terrible. of yours bad narratives. So bad. This Denver to win the West is fine. There's yeah. still a shot. Toronto obviously. to win the East. Absolute. No chance. Milwaukee to beat the Clippers in the finals. The Clips are going to be a play-in team. Ant to win most improved. Brantley just talked about it. Doubt it. Milwaukee-Philly conference finals? Absolutely not. Hero six-man? No. Trey to win the scoring title? That's just horrendous. AD, defensive player of the year? <laughs> so bad. Hey, bunch of Laker fans. A bunch of Laker fans have been tweeting that for the last couple weeks, though. So. Grizzlies-Denver-Western Conference finals I kind of like. Mm-hmm. Listen, Ty, you were throwing your back out with those home run swings. One of them might connect, and you'll win this contest, (laughs) okay? And Uh, Bane is get healthy and hit a bunch of threes. That's right. Uh, Um, I had the Celtics under 53.5. I just didn't trust the situation, and I should have known better. 17-4 and right now. They're like... they are the best, the player the best team in the league. I think I took the under on the Celtics. Right now, historic offense. Historic offense. They're unbelievable. Tatum is too good. So they they have the best offensive efficiency since the merger. Yeah, without a coach that has 
been there for longer no. than two weeks before and the season started. I might add the Memphis Grizzlies played them really well. They did without they, trip. Without trip. Them and the Kings, we they had some of their worst offensive games against us. And the Celtics, I still in that game, even when we played them close, I was so impressed with how they played. And we didn't have Adams. The uh, speaking of narratives, right. Sixers to win the division and Embiid to win the MVP. Mm, that's a narrative situation that's probably dead. Even though the Sixers are trending in the right direction, they're seven and three mm. in their last ten games, but they started the season it's rough. Dead. And I don't believe in those yeah, I have bets a Giannis, anymore. I have a Giannis MVP bet that I feel really good about. Yeah, as well. That one's good. I, feel good about. I, ha- I have a Rockets oh. over that was also one of my worst. Mm. So yeah, I will say that all of us. <laughs> Loved the heat and didn't love their culture, but believed in it. And that that's looking a little rough right now. Kyle all their players washed. are like forty. Yes, yeah. one Tyler Hero. Jimmy season. might not play thirty games this season. We'll see. Yeah, so that's hurting a lot. The other thing that I would say is we also dismissed. Um, although y'all had slide overs, but my dismissal of both Utah and Indiana both looking really bad. I had them as both the lowest teams in each conference yeah and right Give now they Utah would be like uh, and but and right now they would be in the playoffs so utah yeah. i think had, I, I don't know for this really is days. just complete just guess but they have to have one of like the oldest teams in the league and yet they're tanking like do they play rookies at all they have Kess- they have kessler, kessler they're Edwards, playing a lot but that's it yeah all their other players are like at least mid-20s or older which is mm-hmm. so strange they're an interesting situation they're starting to cool off they're Trending closer to the 500 at this point. Is marketing so, no longer Dirk? Maybe not, but he's still, I mean, he's still an all-star candidate at this That's point. He's wild. still playing crazy. Um, all right. Um, I just wanted to read these out for you guys at this point today. Champion odds. Okay? Finals champion odds and where the Grizzlies sit and how we feel about this. Okay? Celtics are first. Mm-hmm. Plus three sixty to be expected. Second. Milwaukee second at plus six hundred. Who do y'all think is third? Phoenix. No. Golden State. Yes. Golden State Warriors are still third. Plus six fifty. Sure. Guess who's fourth? Denver. Nope. Phoenix. I nope. know Brooklyn's up there somewhere, probably. Philly. No Brooklyn. Or there is Brooklyn, but they're not next. Sixers. Nope. L.A. Clippers. Oh. Our fourth right now to win the finals at plus seven fifty. I think five hundred right now. I mean, maybe like maybe probably below. Yeah. Uh, next Suns okay. plus one thousand, and then the Nets at eleven to Wild. one, and then the Nuggets. No. Not even the Grizzlies yet. Plus fifteen hundred. Finally, we get the Grizzlies That's at crazy. the eighth best odds right now, below teams like the Clippers, below teams like the Nets. At plus sixteen hundred to win the finals. Right now, some analytic sites, as Kraft mentioned earlier, like five thirty eight, have us at the second best odds to win the finals. So, if you are uh, wanting to sign up for our DraftKings promo code TBPN, hey yo, this would be a pretty good bet in terms of value. How much yeah, money do y'all want to put on this collection? No, we were we were twenty four hundred. At the beginning of the year, so we we've gone up, we've gone up. But in terms of just straight up who they have above us, I know to me Golden State and L.A. are the two that I think they're always going to have high, just because the Clippers make they're curbing the money that's like, going to come Kawhi in. Kawhi has just come out this season and looked so good. Like Kawhi has just been dominating the league. Oh wait, the dude hadn't played. Exactly. Gosh. I don't even know if he wants to play basketball he anymore. He, he might retire. When well, you have all those really great New Balance commercials, yeah. so true. 
We have 76ers, rapper. Cavs, Mavs, Pels, Heat, Raptors. Those are the teams below us. Mm. Uh, I felt like we were kind of the dividing line right now on who could win. And I would still put the Cavs, honestly, above. Um, speaking of speaking of the Cavs, I have one other thing I wanted to throw out at y'all, and then we can end on any takes we have media-wise or anything else. I was thinking about what if we were to separate ourselves as fans from the Grizzlies and say we were new to the NBA and we asked, you know, another group like us who we should root for, what would be the list of the most fun teams to be a fan of right now? I could, apart from the Grizzlies, I could only think of five that I could recommend to someone else, you know, confidently. Let's hear them. So, I want to hear what y'all think about this and if you would add or take away teams from this list. And I'm thinking about everything. I'm thinking about, um, you know, where they are in their life cycle as a team. Uh, who are their stars? Are they easy to root for? Uh, what's their culture? What's it, you know, are they generally steered in the right direction in that respect? Number one, I had the Celtics. I think they're the favorite right now. I think they still have guys that are young, they're not on the back end of their title run. They're, to me, like right in their prime. I have the Bucks in there because I think Giannis is just one of the most fun superstars to root for. And you've got to think that when he's on their team, it's going to be good. I know some of their guys are a little bit older. I have actually in here, speaking of the Cavs, I have the Cavs. They have two young guys in Jared Allen, Evan Mobley, or three in Jerry Scarland as well. And then they just made an all-in move. I feel like... That's a sort of up-and-coming team who's overperforming. I have the Nuggets. They have the MVP, Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr., Young, title contenders. last one is a little controversial. I actually have the Jazz on here. Because if you're going to start over with a team, nobody has done it better than the Jazz. I think OKC is not a team I would recommend because I think they've been losing for too long. And it's sort of this, like, I don't know, this treadmill right now that they're running on of just being bad and keep trying to hit. I think jazz actually have pieces that they could realistically flip for really good uh, players right now, but also have the draft picks and they have Danny Ainge and Will Hardy, who I believe in. That's my kind of like indie pick, if you will, of like a team to start rooting for. Are there any teams that y'all would take off that list or add to that list? I think Grizzlies are number one, to be clear. Like that's the number one team. But we're not. Remind unbiased. me your criteria of this again. Well, I just think it's it's sort of a moving criteria. I think anybody would might have some different values, but I value particularly a organization that is in the right place, like top down. Do you have uh, confidence in the decision makers and the coach? Do you have a star that's marketable? That to me is like secondary, and then third, do you have a culture? organizationally that is just fun to rally around. Kraft, I feel like we're going to have one of the same teams. <laughs> yeah, probably. I was going to throw Toronto on that list. Oh, that's a good one. I think Toronto would be super fun to read for. Not necessarily a star, but culture, trust in front office, know that your management is going to do the right thing, uh, love the way they play, just a very weird style. Yeah, fun, and then Scotty Barnes style. is like a blast. You're to just totally like right on that. I, I completely missed so I would Toronto. replace them with probably the Jazz because I think in a month, the Jazz, if, you're, if you become a Jazz fan, a month from now, you're going to be like, wait a second. 
What did I just sign up for? That might be true. I love the Jazz this year, though, so far. So I think you're they're, committing they're not, to the tank, though. Yeah. Like, you have to be all in on this is how teams rebuild, and we trust the people that are making the de- decisions mm. to rebuild it correctly. So you can get in on the ground floor right now is what I'm saying. Just cross those fingers. Yeah, seriously. And having the T-Wolves pick or swap for the next, like, uh, so five good. years... Looking really good for Two the teams that I think would a lot of people would put on there are Pelicans. Yeah, that's one that I thought the I wouldn't cans, do it, but I just personally have too much baggage with Pelicans, knowing that like yeah. they're in our division and I don't agree with how they've been run recently. Uh and then the second would be the Mavs because they technically have Luca, who's still young, and they were in the Western Conference Finals last year. I just think yeah. they're frauds, so that's just me. Yeah. yeah, I mean the the thing with the Pelicans is that their their future draft assets offset the management dysfunction. Oh, they have so a ton. it's like if you're so many. it's like they've they've lucked into this unbelievable situation and they've still just crapped the bed with it. And so, you know, I have friends that are Pelicans fans, and yeah. I feel sorry for them. Because <clears throat> they they live close enough to Memphis and they should be, be Grizzlies fans. Some of them even live in Memphis. And if you're listening, yeah, those really Miss- Mississippi that. people have yeah, it's have like strong split reasons. loyalties. But yeah. I also, <clears throat> I sort of feel like you have to. I know uh, maybe last year we wouldn't have said this, but assuming that the that they will sell, I think you have to put the Suns in there just because Booker is really good and. They didn't go about the eight and thing correctly, but they at least kept him. I don't know. It's they're yeah. a tough the Suns one. Are well, good. I would want with the Warriors. They're a tough one. To I'd want to wait and see with the Sun Suns who the owner is. You know, because I think that'll affect a lot. Yeah, the new owner. Suns and Warriors were tough for me because they were both sort of like they're obviously contenders mm. still, but yeah. I'm like, do you want to put your eggs in that basket right now, mm. and then in two years you're going through a tank that may or may not be right. you know best case scenario yeah. mm-hmm. but anyway just I mean, interesting the pels with players and assets i think would be very attractive i do not trust the front office and i mean i i feel bad because i have a lot of pels fans too and when they but when they move to pels seattle fans. it would be a really fun <laughs> team to root for that's true they're gonna love hearing but that yeah, they, but they don't have a culture there people there the city does not care about the pelicans and it's weird because i think a lot of um, our our friends who are NBA fans, kind of surrounding the Louisiana area, like the Pels, but it's a weird culture, for yeah. sure. Poverty, man, poverty franchise. Uh, okay, any last takes before we close it out? It could be uh, any NBA related take. Mm-hmm. It could be a Grizzlies take. It can be a media take. Craft, you always have a take. <laughs> I know, but my voice is going. Yeah. So I'm trying to keep people from I'll say that we, having to mute the podcast. We were texting about uh, just like the media at large, national media primarily. I feel like a lot of like local people per their, you know, that, that cover their team do, do a really good job and know the ins and outs and stuff like that. But we all listen to a lot of NBA. Us, us four listen to a lot of NBA podcasts. I, I can't watch a lot of games, um, so I try to keep up through that. And we've, you know, a lot of like national podcasts we've listened to recently, and basically almost like chuckle as they talk about the Grizzlies because it's just like God, they just don't get it. Um, so I think it's I don't know. At some point, I feel like it, it needs to be brought up that. When you're when you want to really find out about a team, all you people listening out there, 
If you want to find out about the Grizzlies, obviously listen to us. But if you want to find out about a specific team, I would stay away from like national big media people, even like kind of fringy podcasts. Like the Ringer has a lot of like I, I would I, I would probably call that a national podcast. A lot of a lot of these, especially with a team like the Grizzlies, that are just like so, you know, detail oriented and do things differently that like. People just don't really get what we're doing because we're going against the grain a little bit. So if your front office is even a little bit like in the gray area and not black and white, like they just don't know what to think. So they just assume that you're like every other franchise in the NBA. So you're going to you're going to react that way. And that's the way you're going to do business. And that's just not the case with the Grizz specifically. But I think we've we've all been frustrated about how national media people that have a lot of listen you know listeners are just like they just don't get the big picture they really don't get what's going on and we just since we know the Grizzlies so well there's a lot like I rarely find myself wholeheartedly agreeing with a Grizzly centric take from a national national media um, perspective yeah I'm with you I think to me the ones that I trust if you're looking for national media podcasts like I would focus on the ones that are bringing in guests that are semi-local at some level. Like, for instance, I think Zach Lowe does a really good job at bringing in guys who cover specific areas of the NBA and in their, the country and relying, you know, he has his own. I mean, he, but one person or two people on a podcast can only watch so many games. And so ultimately, if you're a huge fan of a team, you never miss a game. You know, there's a chance that if you listen to some national podcasts, they're going to get some things wrong about, for instance, like there was a Ringer podcast we were talking about earlier that just didn't necessarily have any uh, insight into, or they the conclusions they were drawing upon never included the data point of we haven't had a full starting lineup that played one game yet. And so I think details like that, you have to be, you know, wary of when you're going in and be aware and I think that it's good to provide context there uh, with those. But, yeah, I mean, I just think that it's it's be wary of the takes, the general takes out there, because there are some that are going to have huge runs on, you know, networks like ESPN that are going to start from a place that might not be based upon uh, really hard facts. And you should listen to the Grizzden podcast more if you want real Grizzlies takes <laughs> is our point, I think. I also think, like, Will, you've said this point on sort of the jaw superstardom that Jaw's entering into the phase of his career where he's going to start receiving more criticism. I think it's also possible that the franchise itself is going to start to receive that. Like, we've sort of had this run of um, greatness to where we've continually quote unquote improved every year. And this year I think we are improving, but it's in different ways. So it doesn't just show up on a box score very clearly. And so that's going to bring these flyover Charles Barkley type takes or the Raja Bell takes where these guys have historically maybe taken time to really dig into what we're doing and they're just like now assuming they know who we are and they're just kind of looking at the high level and being like, yeah, these guys made some mistakes and that's not the franchise direction that I thought they were. 
and um, or your expectations get to an unrealistic level because of a kernel of something that you saw earlier, and yeah, so you yeah. set yeah. your guideline. You know, your expectations yeah. either way too high or just like not in line with what even the franchise itself expects. Yeah, right. like I don't expect. I'm 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 like I improvement this year for me is like winning a second round series in the playoffs and and i would imagine that that may be what the franchise is this maybe they really think we can get to the nba finals which is you know would would be an awesome goal um and it maybe is a little behaggy but like you know does the nba media would they view it that way and say like hey can this team get to the se- winning a second round playoff series while also optimizing their 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 book of business per, or their their assets to set them up for when the cap explodes that they're in a really good position and can take advantage of it yeah. because that's kind of where we are a little bit which is awesome yeah i mean i think one of my big frustrations with um the national media is an obsession with all in moves huge trades title or bust and it's like look at the last <clears throat> 20 years the spurs the warriors draft well have patience make good moves on the margins create a great culture i mean and the funniest part to me is so many of the kind of the nba media people now cover the warriors a lot and yet they're still obsessed with the player empowerment stuff the big moves, the big like two or three amazing players and a terrible, um, you know, bench, and and it's like the Warriors showed how to do it: draft good guys, keep them together. When you know you have one superstar, you know, draft guys that complement him, have a good culture, and go for it and win multiple titles. I think that's what we want to do. Yeah, and it's weird to me the kind of the opposite obsession that the media have with us, you know, that we should have traded for Donovan Mitchell, you know, and we're hearing Simmons talk about a Mitchell Bain jaw lineup. If that makes any sense, you know, it's just a weird, like just put three stars together and then you win championships. And I just feel like the last 10 years approved, that's not as easy as it sounds at all. When it also, it's not a winning way. It doesn't work. The odds, it, it, the odds of that working are just as bad as mm-hmm. building long term, and and I think what we're our sort of thesis in all of this to me is that we're all good with being a boring franchise to the media, to national media. Like mm-hmm. we have a superstar is not boring, but we're gonna build in a boring way that all of a sudden mm-hmm. the the target is, oh they're here now for five to seven years to be true contenders every year and that's what the war that's what the warriors did in multiple areas they optimized over time over time over time to where they then had the core they were adding fringes and they were competing year in and year out assuming health was there yeah and i think if you're gonna like if you're looking for a very because what i was kind of saying earlier too is the grizzlies are a very nuanced organization and we do things differently like to your Bill Simmons point, he literally called us losers of the off season because we didn't go get Donovan Mitchell. Not that like by saying he literally called us losers, mm-hmm. like when they did their winners and losers, which is just hilarious to me. Um, everyone thought that we were going to make some like 
you know, all in move with all our draft picks to go get a guy. And we like didn't. And because we didn't do traditional wisdom, they were all like, well, that's dumb. They have no thought beyond what's five feet in front of them. So I think if you're looking to get, so like, for instance, we are, we are talking very grizzly specific issues we have with national media. I guarantee you Portland fans are like, they don't get us either. I guarantee you other teams are like, they don't really understand what we're doing either. I think it's just tough when, you know, they literally get paid to talk about the NBA and then you can tell sometimes they just look at box scores from the last couple games and then that's kind of what they go off of. There's not like a nuanced view. There's not like a let's dig in the weeds. Let's really see what they're trying to achieve here. Um, Let's just get in in the thick of it, stay in the gray with them. They just like don't ever do that. It's just like surface level – Grizzlies had a lot of picks. They didn't make a move. That was bad. I'm bumping them down on my power rankings that they do every three days. Yeah. So. And just like if if we if the Grizzlies lose weirdly to the Wizards on a Sunday afternoon, maybe just open up a box score and see if we set all our good players. Yeah. You know? Do the bare minimum of seeing who played in the game. That's all I ask. Totally. Yeah. The yeah, I agree with you, Ty. I think there's this simultaneously like a overreaction to what happened last night, for example, or like I'm just saying any night yeah. and projecting that out to what are, okay, what does this mean for the next three years for this franchise based on this game that happened last night? Mm-hmm. And at the same time, not thinking through, oh, how cool is it that what's happening right now is happening when it, you know, might mean that they aren't going to win the title this year, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean we can't still like have fun watching our team. Right. So totally. I think this is weird thing where they're focused too much on the present in the wrong ways and For not sure. in the right way. And my, yeah. one of my big points is like, what separates us from the thunder from a roster standpoint? SGA is 24, 25 years old. The guy should be entering like his prime. He should be one of the better players in the league. Like what separates them? They have a bunch of young guys. We're just as young as they are. Like, our best player is 23. Our second best player is 24. Our third best player is 23. We don't have a lot of veterans on our team. We got one guy. We don't even have a – we have one guy in our 30s. When it's 30s, he's not even playing. Danny Green. He's not even, like, active right now. So, it just really frustrates me. They talk about, oh, the, man, the Thunder, just such an encouraging run. Look how hard they're playing. Like, we lose, and they're like, Grizzlies, not that good, you know? Like, it's it's just hilarious how – Again, I think it's just it's really frustrating, and because we obviously love this team and we want like everyone to understand us, and, you know, and they don't. But it's just it's really frustrating to the goalposts of the and, and I feel like yeah, unfairly too. So and I feel like last year I forgave them for this, but like it just seems like we were the second best team in the regular season last year. We have the star in the NBA that's under thirty. And I just think pay a little more attention. Yeah, I think next year there's going to be a correction. Uh, And it's obviously going to be based on what happens in the playoffs, but I think there's going to be – when you see another team that potentially is going to win mid-50s and make Mm -hmm. maybe a similar run in the playoffs, like it's going to be really hard to deny what's what's happening. And who knows what's going to – we don't know what's Mm going to happen. I mean, really it could go even further than that. It could also end a lot sooner, but – uh, 
all we know is we're going to be tracking it much better than any of them do. One last so. thing. There's like a weird toggle between what has happened in the past. Again, the Clippers and like their championship odds because Kawhi and PG have been good in the past. Kawhi hasn't played a significant game in several years. And then there's also like this huge like projection of what could be. Referencing Kevin O'Connor saying LaMelo is going to be better than Ja. Because he saw like 10 games of LaMelo hit a couple shots. He's like, yeah, he's got a better shot than Ja. He's bigger. He's taller. She's going to be better. And also him picking like New Orleans to go really, really far. It's like things that haven't happened yet, but you're like convinced that they are versus things that like have just been so steady in the past that now like it's maybe running its course versus a team that like the Grizzlies to me, which fit in the middle of both of those things. We should be the team everyone is projecting to do really well. Why? Because we have done it in the past. We are the best of both worlds, in my opinion. And we have but we the, never get talked the like tools that. to to do continue more. it in the future. Exactly. Yeah. So it's it's interesting that like we're never put in that mix. Like teams yeah. just kind of like kick us to the it's boring to the side. It's so. not a boring narrative. It's frustrating. I mean, it's not a popular narrative. It's but boring. I don't want every national one. media being like Grizzlies. That's what I'm picking for the next decade. They're going to win eight titles. Like I don't want that either. So it's Apple stock. That's what we are. That's that's, <laughs> that's what that's what I do. Yeah, yep. that, we have craft for that. Eight titles in the next ten years. That's it. Well, if you've hung around with us to the very end, we're glad you're here. Remember, go visit Grizzden.com for all your Grizzlies Christmas apparel. And it'll make a great gift for for the loved one in your life or, you know, all the loved ones in your life. Just order away. Uh, Grizzden.com. Remember, 12% off for the next few days. You're not going to want to miss out on this deal. I heard if you order 30, you get the 31st free. Someone should try it and just see if it works. That is guaranteed. Guaranteed. <laughs> we will make that happen Figure for you. Happen. Uh, remember to follow us on our social media at Grizzden. Anywhere you find us on social media, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, Thank you for joining us. This has been a fun episode. We will be back with you soon. For Brantley, for Ty, for Kraft, I'm Will. Talk to you soon.